All right, so if you don't know who I am, I'm uh, Chuck's fourth child. Um, fourth child, and uh, before we kind of get into what we're going over, uh, we are going to be doing the parable of the two sons. All right, so if you're not familiar with the parable of the two sons, uh, you are. It's the parable of the prodigal son, which is what most people know it as. Um, but we often forget when we read this parable that it's actually about two sons. Uh, most of us kind of end the story right there in the middle, but there's a lot more to it. So I'm Chuck's fourth kid, but I'm Chuck's third prodigal son. Um, <laughs> um, if you don't know our family, we got a lot of those. Um, but, you know, things work their way out eventually. Uh, so... Um, if you haven't seen Enoch, he's in the back. Tatiana's in the back. You can wave, Tatiana. Enoch doesn't wave, but... Um, and if you haven't heard the news, we actually have a second one on the way. Uh, and, yeah. Let's hope I get less prodigals than my dad did, but... I'm still hoping it's a boy. Uh, yeah, so my dad is up in uh, Buffalo right now, and I was just up there the other day, and we were out there fishing and hanging out at the farm, and um, that's always a good time. So we usually actually watch the Sunday service online at our house, but this time my dad is watching me preach uh, online. So it's kind of a funny little turn of events here. Um, yeah, we always watch it. it always, I always joke with Tatiana, I'm like, it helps me calm down before I have to go and preach at my church. Because uh, it doesn't matter how many times you preach, I, you know, you always get nervous about it. Because when you're handling, I, I think, uh, the most important book that has ever existed, the Word of God, it, it really puts a heavy burden on your heart. And I think that it, it does so in a, in a serious way. Because God puts His Word at such a, a high level, and it's so important that we need to treat it with a lot of respect. So um, it really <laughs> it always gets me nervous before I preach, uh, no matter how many times I do it. But I know you guys will give me a lot of mercy and grace anyway. Um, and this story, you know, the, the theme of the story of the two sons is mercy and grace. Like, it is just pervasive throughout the whole story. Um, the, the, the entire premise of the story is, is just grace that is just not merited. Like, if anyone didn't deserve grace in this story, it's these two boys that are going to be talked about. So if you haven't um, turned already, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and it starts in verse 11. So turn there with me if you want. I know here we have uh, the screen that projects the verses, but at my church we make the kids bring physical Bibles because we, um, we don't project the verses. Um, and I also don't have a microphone at my church, so I'm really used to yelling when I preach uh, because the kids are, you know, sometimes they can get loud and, you know, we tell a lot of jokes, so they, you know, whatever, they get rowdy. So if I start yelling into the microphone, I just hope that the, <laughs> the sound guy, he'll fix it for me because I'm just how I do it. All right, so before we uh, read the passage, let's pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you for this story, this uh, wonderful story of amazing grace, unmerited forgiveness, that it's just a beautiful story that so many of us can relate to, that we can, we can see ourselves in one of the two brothers, or maybe even both at different times in our lives. So we pray that, that we can relate to them, that we can understand the story, um, the, the story that is just uh, it is the, the true gospel that is just found in your word. Um, it's just so pervasive throughout the story, and we just pray that we can see it and feel it in our hearts as we read through this story. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, before we read it, let me just give you a little bit of background. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, right? So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and what happens to him when he gets there? 
He's crucified, right? So he's on his way there, all right? And his whole entire path to Jerusalem, he's got generally two groups of people following him. He's got the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's got sinners, okay? So these are the two groups of people that are following Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. Now, we know that the Pharisees and the scribes are looking for a way to kill Jesus the whole time, right? Basically, from the very beginning of his ministry, he kind of jumps on the scene and he starts preaching about this weird thing called the kingdom of heaven. And all these people are kind of trying to figure out what it is. And he's doing all these miracles. Nobody can deny that. And the Pharisees are not happy with him because he's kind of... um, undermining them in a, in a way. They like their power. They like their authority. Jesus is kind of taking that. And he's also insulting them a lot along the way, if you don't know. So they're not happy with him, and they want to kill him. Um, so just keep that in mind as we're going through. There's two people listening. There's the righteous Pharisees, the righteous Pharisees, and then there's the unrighteous sinners, right? The, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, the drunkards, right? These are the people who are following Jesus right now. So Jesus just got done telling two parables before this one, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. And in both of those stories, um, it's all about rejoicing about finding what is lost. It's finding what is lost. You've lost one of your sheep. You go out, you leave the 99, you go out and you find the sheep. You lose the coin, you search the coin, you lift everything, you try and find that coin. And when you find it, there's great rejoicing. So Jesus just got done telling those two parables, and he really wants to make sure people understand what he's talking about here, because he tells this parable, possibly the most um, the most well-known parable in the entire Bible, you might argue. Uh, everyone knows this parable as the prodigal son. All right. So uh, there's lots of commentary on this parable. Everyone says, like, hey, this might be one of the greatest stories ever told, the greatest short stories ever told. Lots of people um, would say that. So. Let's read it. All right. Verse 11. Jesus continued. um, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth with wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you will kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Oh, I love that one. It's so good. It's just the best. It is, um, it is so relatable. If, if you don't relate with either one of these characters, I don't know uh, what life you've been living. I feel like everyone, everyone has a moment where, where we are either one of these brothers at least once in our lives. Um, for a lot of the Wilsons, we were the prodigal for a really long time. And, and it's just, um, it's just, it's a heart-wrenching story to, to read through. It's a heart-wrenching story. Because if you've been in the place of the prodigal son and, and, and you came back to your parents and your parents just accepted you back, it's like this grace that you don't deserve that, uh, you know, it's just, um, it's really uh, something that touches the heart of, of everyone who reads it. So let's go through uh, verse by verse and just see what's going on here. So as I said, most people understand this uh, parable as the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but again, we forget that there's two sons in the story. Most people end right there in the middle when we uh, look at this parable. But just remember that there's two sons the whole time, and they are representing two different people in the crowd. All right. We've already kind of gone over that. So verse 12, the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So we're going to notice a trend here. Just about every verse in this parable is shocking which is kind of typical of Jesus. Jesus usually has one shocking turn of events in a story, but this parable's got a ton of them. So what is the younger son asking his father at this moment? Give me my inheritance. This is highly unusual, very highly unusual to, to do, and especially in this culture. We have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes for a second. In this culture, it's all about honor and respect. Honor your father and mother, one of the Ten Commandments. This culture is heavily on that. Honor your father and mother. Now, he's asking his father for his share of the estate before his father dies. Completely unheard of. And being the younger son, he's going to get one-third of the estate. The older son gets two-thirds of the estate. So kind of keep that in mind. So he's, he's asking his father, sell the part of my estate and give me it in cash. That's basically what he's saying. And this isn't just asking for his father's wealth. This is asking for the wealth of ancestors on and on and on, right? Generations of wealth, right? They seem to be pretty wealthy. They have servants. Uh, they have hired servants. They've got uh, slaves. They've got fattened calves. All of these things are, are marks of a wealthy family. This is generational wealth. And this son wants it so he can take it away from the family and spend it in a foreign land. And he, not only is he doing that, but he's asking for it before his father dies. So what is he essentially saying to his father? Yeah, die. Die so I can have my money. Die so I can have my money. He's, he's basically saying, it's like well, if I walked up to Chuck and I was like, Chuck, I wish you would just die. You know, I wish you would die so I could have my part of the inheritance, which isn't much because we have like 13 kids. Uh, and I'm not the oldest. 
<laughs> and my dad's a pastor, so like all of these things. I'm not getting much. It's like what am I getting? Ten dollars? Right. <laughs> but like, just imagine. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna walk up to my dad and be like, I wish you would die, Dad. I'm watching you in the camera. I wish you would die. Give me my share of the inheritance. Um, and then he actually does it, right? The father in the story. The, everyone in the audience is thinking like. Oh, this, this dad's going to, like, verbally abuse this kid for dishonoring him. Maybe he'll smack him a couple of times. Very common, right? Turn the other cheek, sign of disrespect. He will slap his son. He will verbally abuse him. Say, who do you think you are walking up to me asking me for my wealth before I'm even dead? You're crazy. You're crazy, right? That's what they're all expecting. The Pharisees especially are expecting this. They, they're all about following the rules, honoring your parents, right? They're really expecting the father to do that. But no, the shocking element is that the father's like, Okay, here you go. Take it and go. Um, so he, the Bible says he, he divided his property between them. Not long after that, so the son wastes no time. He's like, not long after that, the younger son got all together uh, what he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth and wild living. So not only did he take the money from his dad, he took it away from the family. He took it away from Israel. Right? He goes to a distant land, to, to the Gentile land, the ungodly people. He goes to them, and he, and he brings it there, and he squanders it. Right? He walks into this town. He takes one-third of his father's wealth, and he squanders it. This is bad. This looks really bad. right? This guy uh, uh, Definitely deserves a good, like, smack on the face a little bit, all right? So we're all here understanding that the crowd hearing this knows that this son is doing something atrocious. Like, this is almost worse than killing your father. Not only did you wish he was dead, but you took his wealth anyway, and then you squandered it in a foreign land. These are all things that the, that the Jewish audience, that the Israelite audience listening to this would understand as very bad. Very, very bad, all right? And it just gets worse. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So... After he had spent everything, verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Now, if any of you guys were here for when my dad was preaching on, I think it was Second Kings, you had that story, right? Uh, Israel's being besieged, they're surrounded, they can't get any food, there's a famine in the kingdom. What did the people do during this time of famine? Anyone remember? What? They complained cannibalism, yeah. They were eating their own children. That's how bad famine is, right? We have no idea what famine is, right? Us in America, we throw away, I think, what is it, like 30% of food that's produced in America gets tossed in the trash? That's crazy. These guys know what famine is like. And if anyone here who's hearing this word famine come up, chills are going down their spine. Like, we know what famine is. Famine's not good. We don't have all of these uh, backup stores of preservative food. Like, we don't have any of that. All we have is relying on God basically for every meal. But there's a famine in the country right now. So these people are, are seeing this, and they're like, oh, man, this guy's in for it. Not only is he broke now, but a famine just hit. This guy's in desperation. Mm-mm-mm. Very bad. So, what does he do? He's like, oh, man. Um, rather than being like, hey, uh, my dad's probably got lots of money. I should go back and hang out with him again. He's got food. Rather than doing something sensible, he's like, hey, I'll just get a job. I'll try and dig myself out of this, right? I squandered all my wealth. I'll go try and earn some of it back so I can at least survive. So he goes to a Gentile, and he's like, hey, let me work on your farm. Let me work on your farm here. And he, the you know, the Gentile being a Gentile, he has pigs, um, something that Israelites would not do. It's a, it's not, uh, it's not halal, right? Uh, it's not, it's haram, not halal. If you don't know what that means, 
it's not kosher. <laughs> That's a better word. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I spent time in the Philippines with the Muslims. They say halal and haram. Um, halal is good. Haram is bad. It's haram. It's haram. All right, so you don't eat pigs. If you're a, a good Jewish boy, you don't eat pigs. And even worse, you don't feed pigs. You don't touch pigs. You don't go near pigs. Pigs are bad. Don't go near pigs. And yet this Gentile is sending this good little Jewish boy to go feed the pigs. And what happens when he goes and is feeding the pigs? He longs to eat the food the pigs are eating, right? This is disgusting. Have any, have any of you gone to, like, the Grange Fair and you've seen all the pigs and stuff like that? Anything? Maybe, maybe you live on a farm. I don't know, whatever. But you, you see the pigs eating. They are savages when they're eating, right? If you throw a bunch of slop in front of pigs, they are all over it, right? There, there's no room for anyone else, right? They're already basically killing each other for the food, right? So he's longing to basically get in with the pigs, and eat their food. So, again, think of the audience. The Israeli audience listening to this right now is like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is rock bottom. He wants to eat the food the pigs are eating. That food's not even nutritious. So like these pods, they, there's just nothing to them. Like a human probably couldn't even eat them if they wanted to. But that's how down in the dumps this guy is. He's literally in the pigsty. All right? So this guy's not doing well. And then, I love this part. Uh, this is my favorite part of the whole thing. Um, he says, when he came to his senses, he said, when he came to his senses, this um, is a very relatable moment for many prodigals. If you're a prodigal and you, you uh, realize kind of the mess that you're in, um, I know this, I, I remember the moment when this happened to me. I remember just being as far down on the dumps as you could possibly be and then coming to my senses. Just all of a sudden, like maybe it's an act of grace of God, just uh, coming to your senses and just realizing, like, wait a minute, I'm here because of what I did and what my decisions led me to do. It's like I don't need to, I don't need to keep doing the things that lead me down this path. Right? You you come to your senses, you come to your senses, and that I think is uh, my favorite part of the whole parable because he finally comes to his senses. And then he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Okay, so he's on the right path. Now he's come to his senses and he's like, I'm going to hatch a plan. I'm going back to dad and I'm already going to start preparing my response, uh, whatever, you know, my excuse or my apology. He's already preparing it, right? And this, I, I remember doing this in high school. My mom definitely remembers this because I really remember this. I remember I texted my mom when I was out with my friends and I texted my mom, I'll be home in an hour. Right? I said, I'll be home in an hour. And then we were doing things we shouldn't have been doing. And, and I remember falling asleep on the couch and I never texted my mom, actually, I'm not coming home in an hour. So I remember waking up at 5 a.m. and being like, oh, crap. <laughs> oh no <laughs> what am I going to do and I'm just thinking like oh I'm in so much trouble I'm going to get home and I'm just going to pray nobody's awake <laughs> I'm just going to pray nobody's awake I'm just going to walk in the door and go right to bed and I'm like I was here the whole time uh, that was what my mindset was and I'm like but if someone is awake here's what I'm going to say oh my phone died and blah 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 none of it's true but I'm going to say anything I can to get out of trouble and I remember opening the door at 5am and my mom's just standing there and I was like Oh, it's like, oh, no, what am I going to do? All right. And uh, and when you see the look on your mom's face after you didn't come home all night, you realize like, OK, uh, 
there's no excuse. There's nothing I could say. I don't even know what I said. Maybe my mom remembers. But I just remember being like, oh, is that what I said? Uh, I, I did. I tried it. I threw out my excuse. It didn't even work. Uh, anyway, then later on, I think my dad had a good talking with me. He's like, did you know your mother stayed up all night waiting for you? She, she was checking the news, thinking, looking for car accidents. She's like, what, what, what is she supposed to do? What is she supposed to think? And, and I'm like, well, you got a good night's sleep. You didn't care, did you? you know? <laughs> I remember he actually went to bed. <laughs> Just, I would do the same thing as a dad. I was like, I'm not losing sleep over this son of mine. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so you, you understand, like, I totally get where this guy's going, right? He's like, okay, I messed up real bad. Here's the best excuse I can come up with. And I think his excuse is pretty good, right? He doesn't try and justify what he did. He says, I sinned against uh, heaven and against you. It's like, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. All of these things are absolutely true, right? He's not trying to beat around the bush. He's just going right to it. I sinned. I sinned. I messed up real bad. I sinned against God. I sinned against you. Everything I have done up until this point is bad. And everyone in the audience is, is, is hanging on to this right now, right now. Because if you think about it, the Pharisees who are seeing this excuse, they're like, yeah, you did mess up. And your father should kill you for what you did. This is, this, what you did was horrible. This is terrible. And then you have all the sinners in the audience. And they're sitting there thinking like, that's me. What's going to happen to him? What is going to happen to him? What, what's the father's reaction? What is it, Jesus? What is the father going to do, Jesus? What is he going to do to him? Because they're, they're thinking, what is God going to do to me? Right? That's what they're thinking right now. So he comes up. He walks up. And what does the father do? As he's approaching, it says, while he was still a long way off, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Shocking. The Pharisees angry no way is this how the father is going to react there's no way this is what's going to happen and the sinners in the audience are like there's a chance there's hope this is what god's going to do this is my this is my hope all i have to do is come to my senses and go home it's great it's wonderful but what's wonderful to one part of the audience is horrible to the other they're like there's no way this forgiveness could happen and the, the sinners are like it's me it's me and then the son tries he tries to throw his excuse he tries to say my phone died right he tries to give his excuse he said the son said to him father i have sinned against you against heaven and against you i am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father doesn't even respond. He doesn't even respond to what the, the son said. He's like, no, 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 no. Give him, give him a robe. Give him the best robe. Put new sandals on his feet. Give him the ring. The ring, a signet ring, a sign of sonship. Put it on his hand. Give it to him. Don't, don't worry about what he said. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. You're forgiven already. You're already brought back into sonship. What amazing grace is this? Unexpected, shocking, unbelievable grace. 
That no matter what you've done, even if you've told God, I wish you were dead, I wish you, you would just leave me alone. No matter what you've done, you've, you've intentionally sinned against God. That all he wants is for you to come home. Just come home. Forgiveness, grace, it's waiting for you right now. You don't need to wait. All the sinners in the audience are like, that's me. I can come home. I can come home. I don't need to do this anymore. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then what the father says, bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Right. Think about earlier on in the passage, verse seven of 15. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Celebration. The lost sheep has come home. The father says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And then here we are 14 verses later. And the second son shows up. 14 verses later. Right. Whenever anyone in this time heard a story of two sons. What are they going to think of? There's lots of two-son stories in the Bible. Lots of two-son stories. Cain and Abel, right? Jacob and Esau. This, this two-son paradigm is so, so prevalent in the Bible. They're hearing it, and it's just flipping it all on its head almost all at once, right? Because we have the two sons. Remember what, what Cain says after he kills Abel when God asks him where Abel is? He says, Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. Where's your brother? You are, you're, you're the brother. Where's the other brother in the whole story? When his, when his brother goes out into the foreign land and squanders all of his wealth, where's the other brother? Maybe the other brother should be the one who goes out and tries to get him back. Uh, you're your brother's keeper. He's out there ruining his life. Where are you this whole time? Where have you been this whole time? Are, are you there to, to you know, console your father? You know, what, where are you this whole story? Well, 14 verses later, he's out in the field and he comes back, came near to the house and he hears music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf to bring him back safe or because he has come back safe and sound. How's the brother going to react? Is he going to be just as happy as his father is? Is he going to join into the celebration with his father because he loves his father? He sees how much joy his father is in and he wants to join into the father's joy? No. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Refused to go in. He wouldn't go in. Very interesting. And what does the father do? He goes out to him. Who else did the father go out to? The older brother gets the same treatment as the younger brother. He's getting the same grace as the younger brother. This isn't a story about one prodigal son. There's two. The older brother may not have done anything wrong, but his heart is just as far from God as the younger son. He does not love his father. He does not care for his father. He does not do anything 
about what just happened to his father. He doesn't do anything. All he's mad about is the brother coming home and receiving grace. And who is this in the story? Who is in the crowd? It's the Pharisees out in the crowd hearing this, and they're mad that this brother is getting grace in the same way. In the same way that the older brother is angry, the Pharisees are angry about the grace. They're angry. But the father still goes out, still offering grace to the older brother. Remember, mercy and grace is all over this parable. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fat and calf for him. Now, if you remember, older brother gets two thirds of the wealth. The younger son already got all of his wealth. So that means that everything the father has now is the older brothers. So when the old or so when the father kills the fattened calf, gives the son a new robe, gives the son a new ring, gives the son a new sandal and new sandals. Who's that coming from? The older brother's wealth. He's mad that his inheritance is now being given to the other brother. He's like, that's my stuff you're giving him. That's mine. He's not worried, right? He's not worried about the father being happy. He's not worried about the joy that's in the household. All he can think about is my stuff. I did all of these things for you. You owe me. You owe me those things. I never disobeyed you. I never squandered your wealth. You owe me. Do any of us earn grace? Can you earn God's grace? Can you earn God's mercy? That's what he's thinking in his head right now. See, I earned all of those good gifts that you're supposed to give to me. No. And again, the father, he doesn't even think about it. He just goes right into grace again. Right into grace again. Verse 31, my son, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. End of story. Cliffhanger, right? Where's the end of the story, Jesus? What happens? Does the older son go into the party? Does he join into his father's joy? Is he going to join into his father's banqueting table? What's he going to do? That's exactly what Jesus wants. He's putting the ball in the Pharisee's court. He's like, look, all of these sinners are here for mercy and grace. What are you going to do? Are you going to join in or are you going to stay angry? Are you going to sit there and sulk or are you going to join in the celebration? What are you going to do? Put the ball in their court. He's throwing them a softball. All they got to do is knock it out of the park. This is an easy one. Join in the celebration, right? You're the bad guy right now in the story. Join in the celebration, all you have to do. And yet what happens? Do they join in? No. They kill him. So if you want to fill in the end of the story, maybe put a little note here in your Bible. What do they do to the father? What does the older son do to the father? 
murders him. He murders him because who's the older father in the story? It's God. They kill God's son. They kill him. They're like, no, the inheritance is ours. I'm killing you now. They won't go into the party. Now, maybe you see yourself in one or the other character. Maybe you've been a prodigal. Maybe you came back and now maybe you're, you're looking more like the older brother. Or maybe you, you never were a prodigal and you've always been the older brother. And sometimes when someone gets saved, you get a little uh, agitated by it. It's like, well, that person's done all sorts of terrible things. What do they mean they're going to get grace? I've been doing good my whole life. Are they going to get the same reward as me in heaven? Some people think that way. Sometimes I think that way. I think that all of us might have a tendency to slip into that from time to time. Think like, well, I've done all these great things for you, God. What do you mean? They're going to get the same mercy and grace I'm going to get? Yes. <laughs> yes, they are. I love that. Yes, they are. Because you're not earning anything, are you? No one's earning anything. That's the whole point. <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a wage, then it's not a gift. And if it's a, if it's a gift, it's not wages. Right? You don't earn anything. It's just mercy and grace. It's simple. It's simple. You don't earn it. All you have to do is come home. Turn your heart. Repent. Come home. Whichever state you're in. Maybe you're the overly righteous one. Maybe you're the one who knows he's completely unrighteous. Maybe you're the Pharisee in the the crowd. Maybe you're the sinner. All you have to do is come home. God's going out to both sons. He'll go out to either one. Whoever is coming home, he will go out to. It's that simple. It's that simple. Mercy and grace. Recently, I was watching a video about Jeffrey Dahmer, a video about this guy did an interview with Jeffrey Dahmer's pastor, Jeffrey Dahmer's pastor. Because if you didn't know, Jeffrey Dahmer, after he committed all of those heinous crimes, luring people back to his apartment building to kill them and eat them. After he did that, after he got caught, he was in prison and he got saved. He became a Christian in prison. And there was a lot of people who were not happy about that they were mad about that and in the interview with the pastor he was like shocked he's shocked about all these letters jeffrey's getting about people who are you're just doing this to to tarnish the name of christ to to really uh, show that that christianity is just like a, a just a get out of jail free card at the end of your life right? that's what you're doing it's like you're not a real christian you didn't really repent right who does that sound like in the story? Who is that? Older yeah, it's the older brother, right? It's the older brother. He's the one who's like, no, no, no. Your grace is not going to be my grace. I'm not going to heaven if you're going to be there. That's what he's basically saying. I'm not going to, to eat with you at, at God's banqueting table. That's not going to be me. I'm not going to be there. And God's like, okay, fine. You don't have to have mercy and grace. You don't need it. I mean, if you don't want it. You don't have it, right? That's just that simple, right? But guess who knew he needed it? Jeffrey Dahmer, the pastor said that Jeffrey Dahmer used to laugh at what Paul said, right? He used to laugh and be like, you know, I know Paul says that he's the worst of all sinners, but I'm really the worst of all sinners. He used to say that all the time. That was his like trademark thing, right? I'm the worst of all sinners. It's me. Paul may have been it at that time, but I'm definitely it now. I think that that is 
wonderful. Because that, what does Paul say? I'm the worst of all sinners. Paul was, was a Pharisee. He says, I was faultless in the eyes of the law. I, I didn't do it. Like, I, I follow the law. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's what he says. And yet he says that he's the worst of all sinners. Because in a sense, he was the older brother. Right? It's, it was more about his heart. He knew his heart was really far from God. Even though he, had, he said he had zeal for God. Zeal so much so that I was persecuting Christ's church. But he knew his heart was far from God, and he was the worst false sinner. Now, what did Paul do when he was persecuting the church? How many people do you think Paul killed? Probably a lot. Imprisoning people, killing people. He's doing things that are probably worse than the prodigal son. So when people are looking at Paul and they're like, wow, it's so great Paul got saved. But then you look at Jeffrey Dahmer, you're like, it's not great that he got saved, though. Well, they did the same things. You know, maybe they didn't, Paul didn't eat people. But, but you see, they did the same things, right? It's all about mercy and grace. And how do we get mercy and grace? Well, we see in the story, come home. We see repentance, right? The son, the, the younger brother, he says, he says I'll, I'll go back and I will confess my sins. I'll confess my sins to my father. I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I, I've done the worst of the worst. And we know that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of all unrighteousness. That's exactly what the father, the father does. He runs out, filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That can be any one of us. No matter if we're the older son or the younger, or, or the younger son, anyone who confesses our sins turns our heart to God. We will be forgiven. It's just compassion ready for us whenever we need it. It's a gift. It's free. God's giving you a gift. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is take it. You can't earn it. You can't say, God, I'll work in your fields my whole life. I'll slave for you my whole life. I'll do anything for you my whole life. It's not about that. God doesn't want anything from you. He just wants you. He just wants you. Famous C.S. Lewis quote. He just wants you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this parable, this beautiful parable that shows what true mercy, true grace looks like. We thank you for what you have done, this wonderful gift that you have given us. Your son dying on a cross for the sins of the whole world. He walked to it, gave his life willingly, and you raised him up on the third day. You showed that that his resurrection is conquering death and sin, and anyone who wishes to be freed from sin can find it in Christ Jesus free gift of salvation turn to the cross kneel before the cross pray plead the prayer of the prodigal son i have sinned against you god i have sinned against you in every way give me mercy and grace show me compassion run out to me we pray that anyone here who has not done that will do that today amen